One of the most favorite places that Pamela and I go to in the world for us is Maggie Valley, North Carolina. <clears throat> and we've been to a lot of places. We've been to the Rockies, but we love that area. But when we go there, there is a particular restaurant that we frequent, not so much for the food, but for the view. We can sit there in the morning hours for a long period of time looking out the mountains, and we look at the cabins, and there's actually one with a red tin uh, metal roof and one with a green metal roof and some others spaced up there. And a lot of those cabins you can't get to in the wintertime, usually just in the summer. <clears throat> but looking up and looking at the cabins on the different peaks, and there's a number of different peaks actually that you see from the restaurant. And sometimes it would be nice if you could just hop from one peak to the other peak but you cannot go from mountaintop to mountaintop without going through the valley to get there. Most of us would like to live from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, but you can't do that without going into the valley. Now, as you go into the valley, there's oftentimes opportunities to navigate to make that journey easier, depending on the path you take. You can go into the valley where difficulties oftentimes seem to assail us, and how you navigate that depends on how easy it is for you to get through it. Are you listening to me? Mm -hmm. Psalm 108 is where we're going this morning. And in Psalm 108, we're going to look at <clears throat> this process of what David writes here. And David had a series of mountaintop experiences, but he had a lot of valley experience too. He was pretty seasoned with a lot of problems and tragedies in life, wasn't he? And we would like to think, all of us, that life is always a rose garden, but you know that in every rose garden, in every rose, there are thorns. So we're going to find ourselves from time to time in, in situations that may not be to our liking, but that's some of the issues that we have to deal with. As we look through this, I'm going to read from several different versions, but I'm going to start this morning from the NIV. <clears throat> Psalm 108. My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all of my soul. Awake, harp, and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, and I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love and higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, and those who love you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Shechem. And measure of the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine, and Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, who has, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory and we will trample down our enemies. Amen. And we're going to read the same thing uh, from the message, which is a trans, it, it, it's, it's not a translation, sort of a paraphrase. But he writes, I'm ready, God, so ready, ready from head to toe. 
I'm ready to sing, ready to raise a God song. Wake, soul, wake, lute, wake up, you sleepy-headed son. I am thanking you, God, out in the street, singing your praises in the town and the country. The deeper your love, the higher it goes. Every cloud's a flag to your faithfulness. Soar high in the skies, O God. Cover the whole earth with your glory. And for the sake of the one you love so much, reach down and help me and answer me. That's when God spoke in holy splendor. Brimming over with joy, I make a present of Shechem. I hand out Sokoth Valley as a gift. Gilead's in my pocket to say nothing of Manasseh. Ephraim's my hard hat. Judah, my hammer. Moab's a scrub bucket. I mop the floor with Moab. Spit on Edom. Rain fireworks on all Philistia. Who will take me to the thick of the fight? Who'll show me the road to Edom? You aren't giving up on us, are you, God? Refusing to go out with our troops? Give us help for the hard task, for human help is worthless. And God will do our best because he'll flatten the opposition for good. Amen. Now, I want you to think about enemies for a moment. When David writes this passage of Scripture, and he begins this awesome journey, if you will. His enemies were physical enemies because he had to overcome army after army after army. I mean, David's life was from a battle to a battle to a battle. It started with a bear and it started with a lion, and that led him to Goliath, did it not? Remember that? The giant of a man that God kept his covenant with, and David was able to defeat Goliath not because he was a great marksman, but because he had faith, because he had trust, because he knew the covenant of God and knew that God was going to overcome the Philistine. And then David ends up going to war, and as Saul said, uh, he had, uh, the word said uh, he had beat his thousands, but David had beaten ten thousands. And so David was a great military genius, and so those were his battles. But he had other battles. He had family battles. He had an infant son that died after his adultery with Bathsheba. He had a son, Absalom, who turned against him in rebellion and, and tried to kill him, and he lost him. He had a daughter that was raped. He had sons that were killed. So when you think about your enemies, I want you to not look at it just from the standpoint of military battles, if you will, or about somebody coming into your house to try to rob you or whatever. I don't even want you to think about those things. I want you to think about the other battles in your life, the elements in your life that cause you grief, that cause you turmoil. Everybody in this room is susceptible to worry, aren't we? What does worry do to you? Causes you to get depressed, causes you to walk in fear, causes you to make stupid mistakes because you're frantic, all right? All those things happen in our lives. So now think about what are the fears in your life right now? What are the battles that you feel like you're facing right now? The things that we're going to read about in this scripture in a moment. Everybody in here has got a battle. Everybody here does. There's nobody in here that's immune to that. Some of us have physical battles. Some of us have battles with finances. Some of us have battles on our jobs. There are a lot of different battles that go on. And so you don't get to live from mountaintop to mountaintop, and you have to go through the valley. So now let's choose wisely as we navigate of how we're going to get to the destination that God wants for us. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter and James and John is there, are there with Jesus, and he's transfigured, and he, they see Elijah. You remember the transfigured, how glorious it was? What did Peter say as soon as that vision was over? 
Let's build a tavern. Let's stay right here. Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Can't do that. For those of you who have been through Tracedeus, incredible, wonderful time. I'm coming up on another weekend, working in a few weeks. Our first team meeting a couple weeks ago was incredible. A lot of people in the Tracedeus community would like to live from Tracedeus to Tracedeus. You can't do that. There are opportunities for weekends, for refreshment, for people to get freed, for a lot of things to go on. But you don't live from Tracedeus to Tracedeus. You can't live from conference to conference. You can't live from prophetic conference to prophetic conference and prophecy to prophecy. You find yourself in life dealing with the mundane because that's the way God intended it to be. So how do you get through some of that stuff? Would you say in light of everything that David went through, that David had favor with God? Yes, he did. Now, why? Because the Word says he had a heart after God. You want favor with God? Have a heart after God. That means everything in your being seeks his face, period. I want you to notice how David starts this psalm. <clears throat> I'm ready, God. I'm ready from head to toe. I'm going to switch over and go to the New King James. God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and I will give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. Do you know what he's actually saying here in these first two verses? He's saying, you know what? I'm so filled up with God, I'm going to wake up the morning. In the Word, when does the Word say joy comes? In the morning, right? Joy comes in the morning. Yesterday morning, my brother and I were fishing. I love being on the water as day starts to break. It's amazing. There's always a little bit of fog. Yes, there was a lot. But you see a mist sometimes over the water, and it's usually not a ripple because the wind isn't usually blowing at daylight. Sometimes it is in March, but most of the time it's a little later than it was yesterday. And you sit there, and I told my brother, I said, man, I just love being on the water in the morning. It's so incredible. Whether fish are biting or not, you're looking at the sun come over the horizon. You're looking at the the reflections on the water. He made this statement one time. He said, man, look at the water. Look how those clouds are, are showing up in the water. And it was just like a picture had been painted. Joy comes in the morning. You know what's cool about the morning? Yesterday is over and it's the start of a new day. So whatever problems I had yesterday, it's a new day and we're starting all over. It's starting fresh, starting all over again. And David said, I'm so excited about tomorrow, I'm already awake waiting for the dawn to come, and I'm going to start that day by praising my God. How often do you start your day by praising the Lord Jesus Christ? Praising the Father. Every single morning for us. Look, we ought to understand that if God gives us wisdom in the Word, why do we not walk in it? I mean, you can find all through the Word, He tells us to start his day, your day with Him. We're not talking about a religious experience. We're talking about a fellowship and an intimacy. We're talking about just talking to him, enjoying him. Friday afternoon, I've been having some problems with my left heel, which is that plantar fasciitis thing. Kind of had it in my other heel one time, and it went away, and now I've got it in this one, but it's not too bad, and I've, I've gotten some really good stability shoes, and it helps. Well, for the last three weeks, rather than walking on the trail, I've been going to the gym and getting on the elliptical because it doesn't have any impact. And I'll just do a 30 to 40 minute workout, sweating like a, I mean, just sweating unbelievably, get a good workout, but I still will be outside. So Friday was a week ago. 
I decided to go over the trail, and on Saturday, I couldn't hardly walk because it hurt. Well, Friday, this past Friday, I said, I'm going to do something a little different. I got all my shoes, good shoes, new shoes. <clears throat> I'm going over to the track behind the old gym on the base because it's a soft rubber track. If you've ever been there, it's like walking on a cushion. I mean, it's soft. You can get down and fit. It's just soft. So I decided I walked, and I started walking around the track, and absolutely it made a difference. I mean, I was able to walk around the track, navigate the track. Boring, but it's not as boring as inside the gym because that's a tenth-mile track in the gym, a quarter-mile track outside, so four laps, I'm around, I'm a mile. But it didn't cause me an issue. I walked that afternoon, went home, didn't have an issue. But here's what I wanted to tell you. I'm walking around the track Friday afternoon, and it was a very comfortable day. It was probably Friday, I'm thinking it was around 70, 71, somewhere like that, about 2.30 when I'm walking. Well, I'm walking around the track, and as I turn uh, toward the end where the gym is, come around, there's a breeze blowing in my face, and I'm looking up at the sun, and uh, the sun is just, is just, something about it was just beaming, and I could feel the warmth on my face, but all of a sudden I felt something that wasn't just the warmth of the sun. I felt the warmth of the Son of God on my face. I'm serious. And I just all of a sudden had this beam on my face, and I lifted my hands. Now, I'm out there on the track, but I lifted my hands, and I remembered the power and the glory of God, and I just started enjoying Him and walking in it, and I just started telling the Lord, Lord, thank you so much for my life. Thank you for the favor. Thank you for the joy. Or thank you just for this moment that I'm feeling your presence. And it was just like this, this thing, it was like the Spirit of God just came on me and over me, and I all of a sudden felt this incredible peace, and all I'm doing is walking around. Now, I start my morning every day by praying to the Father, but I wasn't telling Him any of my problems. I wasn't complaining about anything. I'm just walking and enjoying it. And Pam and I are coming down this morning, and I look to my left, and I see the sun over to the left of 75 as I'm coming south, and it happened all over again. And I made a statement of her, same thing. I said, it happened Friday. I said, you know, it's so cool to be walking with God, and all of a sudden you're in His presence, but you're not wanting anything. You're not telling Him anything. You're just enjoying Him. I'll tell you this, if you have not experienced that, you need to. You should and you'll want to. And if you ever get there, you won't ever want to go without having that experience on a regular one-on-one -on -one basis. Listen, God wants fellowship with you more than you want fellowship with Him. Are you listening to me? He will meet you and speak to you if you will allow Him to invade your life. I told Pamela, I said, I can't imagine, just what happened to me on the track and what was going this morning, I can't imagine somebody who says they don't believe in God, who are atheists, and we're seeing a lot of that crap out there nowadays. I've never been there, but I find it hard to believe that anybody who approaches death is going to be an atheist. Remember when they say there's no atheists in foxholes, the military? I kind of believe that's right. But I can't imagine someone who can't have that indescribable joy. Because you see, when I was walking around the track and what I was experiencing, you can't work that up just on your own if you don't have a relationship with your father. Amen. It doesn't happen. You don't get that kind of peace. You don't get that smile on your face. You're just looking at it. I mean, what reason do you have to look at the sun and all of a sudden you're just smiling because, well, gosh, it's just a nice day. You may do that, but why is it a nice day? And I can't imagine the person who has no relationship with their father and can't experience that indescribable joy. 
David says, I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm the one going to do it by the praise of God. All right? <clears throat> well, what in the world just happened? It's the only bad thing about electronic stuff. It just decides to go somewhere I didn't plan to go. Okay. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. <clears throat> In the next verse, he starts talking about mercy. Now, here's something that I want to mention to you. <clears throat> Jason had posted a... Uh, Thing on Facebook this week. And in the Facebook message, he said a couple of things. He said, it's been a somber day for me at work. Two of my crew members <clears throat> got passed over for E8. And I don't know what the rank is. In the, in, it's a senior master in the Air Force. I don't know what it is in the, the Army. Some kind of chief, I imagine. Or something similar. The what? First sergeant, what's their E9? Uh, depends yeah. But anyway, two of his friends got passed over for E8, and he had explained it to his sister-in-law. She asked what all that meant, but that wasn't all that was. He also was losing his favorite commander. I don't know if he was retiring or transferring or whatever. And then he had two more things. He said, we also have a group, a contract group called DACOR, I think it is, DACOR. I don't think it had an end. I don't think it was Dynacor. And 20 of his aviation specialists were laid off Friday as they're preparing to go to Afghanistan. And then he said, on top of that, we're going to talk to the children about my upcoming deployment. And he was explaining to his sister-in-law on there what the E-8 was and what had happened to those guys getting ready to retire, and they got passed over. And then about the temporary guys laid off that, that they depend on, they like, most of those people got years of aviation experience. And then he says, and as regarding the talk with the children, they took it far better than I did. That's what he said. He said they hand, and he put an LOL out beside. He said, but they handled it far better than I did. Well, I don't know if any of you or aware of it, or saw what was on Fox News Friday morning. But for the last three days, if you work for the federal government, I got an email from, a letter from the uh, Secretary of the Air Force, Mr. Connolly, signed by General Welch, I think, as well. And then we got a letter from Ashton Carter, Dr. Ashton Carter, who used to be head of acquisition. I think he's three or four places up in the Air Force now from the top. I don't remember what. But in all three of these situations, it laid out that they were going to lay off temporary workers almost effective immediately, but on February the 15th, February the 15th, they were beginning to cancel depot maintenance activities in the Navy and the Air Force for the third and fourth quarter. The third and fourth quarter starts in March. Yeah. We're almost halfway through the year. And with that, they were talking about laying off or furloughing all the federal employees, 716,000, possibly up to 30 days, but if they did it, it'd have to be done between March 1st and September 30th. For me, that would mean about a $9,000 pay cut over six months. Multiply that times 16,000 federal employees in middle Georgia, and you're looking at well over $100 million. 
if that comes out of the salaries, what do you think happens to the car dealerships and the restaurants and everybody else? It devastates everything, doesn't it? So watching Jason's post of his people already laid off on Friday and seeing what we saw and reading those emails, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to worry and fret and be consumed by it, or I have an opportunity to believe and trust in my God that he's still going to see us through. You're the same way, no matter what you face. All of us. David says, I'm going to trust. I'm going to praise God among the nations. I'm going to praise you among the nations. Well, you know what? I got a little trouble because Panetta said that in a few months, we will not be ready to deploy, and in one year, we will be completely unprepared as a nation to, to for our, and that's true, because it's a trillion dollars in cuts between what they're already doing and what we could come up. Well, here's the thing. No matter what our Congress decides to do, they are not in charge of our lives. Now, another little issue popped up that I thought about. I'm looking to retire in three years. Well, guess what? They furloughed me, cut me $9,000. My pay is for retirement is determined by my high three years. Guess what they did? They just cut one of my high three years. So they're not just going to affect me for them. They're going to affect me for the rest of my re career, retired or whatever. Hmm. Hmm. Next verse says, but your mercy is great above the heavens and your truth reaches to the clouds. Your mercy is above the heavens. So God, you mean your mercy is greater than what the government says they could do to any of us and what they could do to the middle of Georgia? Yes. Does that mean we won't have to tighten our belts? No, we probably will have to tighten our belts. But here's the thing. We will survive. We have to decide and make a choice. Will we fret? Will we worry? Or will we believe? Mm -hmm. Will we trust? Will we have faith? Will we allow the Father to take us through? Your mercy is, above the, is great above the heavens. Your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, for your glory above all the earth, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered save with your right hand and hear me. Now, I could take a survey of everybody in this room right now, and there's not a one of you that doesn't have something in your life that you, concerns you right now, whether it's a family member, Pamela's daddy, having surgery in two weeks, my son going to Afghanistan, your job, your health, you got something that you think about, don't you? that your beloved may be delivered. Now, are you the beloved of the Lord? Yes. You sure are. You sure are. You're the apple of his eye. You're beloved. So David said, hey, that your beloved may be delivered with your right hand. Hear me. And then God starts to speak in verse 7. He said, I will rejoice and I will divide Shechem. I want to give you just a little bit of background here, real quick. When you look at this psalm, verses 1 through 5 are identical to Psalm 57, 7 through 11, and then the last verses, verse 6 through 13, are identical to Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. So they're exact same words. David uses it a couple of times. So let me set this up for you. Following David's reign, Solomon reigns, but following his reign, Rehoboam, his son, comes and reigns in the northern kingdom, but 
there's a rejection of Rehoboam, and so the kingdom gets split in two. Northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, the southern kingdom, which is two, which is Judah and Benjamin. Jeroboam, who is not of the Davidic line, becomes king there, and he's going to set up actually some, some false feasts, if you will. All right? And the people rejected Rehoboam because of his taxation issues. Not unlike some of the stuff we're seeing happening in our nation. All right? So when God begins to speak here, he speaks about Shechem. Shechem was the first capital of Israel in the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Those two southern kingdoms, or those two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, later were joined by Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon make up what's called the southern kingdom. And it's that way for years and years and years. Okay? And a couple of these I'm going to define for you in just a second. Back to the scripture. For God has spoken in his holiness, I will rejoice and I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Again, Shechem was the first capital of that northern tribe. Now all these first few words are about Israel, if you will. He said, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is mine. Remember, Ephraim and Manasseh were the sons of Joseph. Right? Ephraim and Manasseh were the two sons that were blessed by Joseph's father, Jacob. Okay? And he said, Manasseh is mine, and Ephraim also was the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Judah was the tribe that was always praised, always out by the east gate, always out front. But then he mentions two more in a negative fashion. Moab is my wash pot. Moab is my wash pot. Moab was the incestuous son of Lot. If you look in Scripture, he, they were the spiritual enemy of praise. There will things that will try to come into your life to keep you from praising the Father. They're the enemy of praise. Worry, doubt, unbelief, all those things. And then he mentions Edom. You know who Edom was? The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. What did they do? They gave up their spiritual heritage to follow false gods. When he sold his birthright, he gave up his heritage to follow a false god. And what God is saying here is, all right, Israel, this is God's sovereignty that we talked about again, Jerry, the other day, or the other night when we were home group. Israel, you are my head, you are my helmet, all that. All this other stuff, you're under my feet. Moab, you are my slave, you are the wash basin. I cast my sandal on Edom. Those are negative connotations, if you will. Okay? But God's saying, hey, I don't want you to worry about it. Because I'm in charge. He does that all the way through verse 9. Through 7, 8, and 9, this is God speaking. Moab is my washpot. Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will triumph. And then David speaks again. He says, all right, Lord, who will bring me into the strong city? Who's going to lead me to Edom? He already knows the answer. All right? He knows what that answer is. He knows God's the one. Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? He 
Is it not you, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? David never went out, but God didn't go with him. Did he? Mm-mm. He was with him. And David knew it. So what does he say in verse 12? Father, give us help from trouble. Give us help from trouble. I'm going to ask you a question. When you have something with you wrong with you physically, that you have to seek medical attention for, do you have total trust in the doctor? I don't. Even less today probably than I used to yesterday. Because we're seeing a lot of things going on today in the, quote, practice of medicine where they practice. Doesn't mean God doesn't use doctors and nurses and those in healthcare. I believe that. But I also believe that God sets up some other things for us that he would like us to pursue, if we would, in regard to health, and that is health is better than healing. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yes. In the sense that God says, okay, there's certain things if you do will help you. If you do some things, it won't help you. It will hurt you. Mm-hmm. Sugar is my enemy. My enemy. I says, all right, if you know sugar's your enemy, you can do certain things that will help alleviate some of the things. If you don't do it, guess what happens? The enemy kind of jumps in and sugar goes up. And I know it. I knew it Friday night when I went to eat catfish, which I don't often eat, but I just wanted some catfish. And I knew going up, and it did. And it did. Yesterday morning, it jumped. Because of the breading and all the stuff that goes with it and the carbs. Give us help from trouble. Okay, next verse says, or part of that same verse, for the help of man is useless. How many times do people go to a doctor and they go to several doctors and they get medication from several doctors and for some reason, many times today, one doctor doesn't communicate with another doctor and you got one medication that contradicts or counteracts another medication. We're seeing it in Pamela's daddy a lot right now. He went to a doctor a few months ago, and man, for some reason, the PA just decides, the PA now, not the doctor, his blood pressure was doing fine, and the doctor said, you know what, I'm going to double his Coreg. In two days, he felt like crap. He felt horrible. Pamela called Anne-Marie, our daughter-in-law, who's the pharmacist, told her about it. She said, that's way too much. She said, you need to get him off of it. You need to get him off now. He came off of it. Three days later, he started to get better. He's fine. His blood pressure never went up. Why did they do that? Well, then he goes to the doctor because he's facing this surgery in two weeks and gets other medications that they pile on top of that. And it's on and on and on and on. We remember specifically when Pamela's grandmother, years ago in the 80s, was bedridden and in a fetal position. They actually got her up, got her to another doctor who was an intern. And you know what he did? He took her off of like 20 medications she was on. Boom! Next three years, she traveled, did everything she wanted to do. She got out of that bed. The medications had disabled her. David said, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. What do you do when you get in a situation like we're in with her dad? 
He's got a tumor on the right kidney that they're saying is the size of a child's soccer ball. That's pretty big. They told him this week that it's the largest tumor their urological practice had ever removed. Well, that gives you a lot of comfort, doesn't it? Largest they'd ever seen, the largest one they'd ever removed. So, you know, you're going into surgery thinking, well, that's just great. But what do you do? Pamela asked him, said, was your father, what would you do? He said, if it was my father, that's exactly what I do, and yes, I do like my father. But you know, I look at things differently maybe than some people. What do surgeons do? I mean, what do they do? They cut and remove stuff, right? If you have a problem and go to a surgeon, you think what he might recommend is, well, let's just take it out. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. How many times have we seen in this country where thousands upon thousands have had tonsillectomies who never needed a tonsillectomy? Why? Because that's what the surgeon does. You can live without a lot of things in your body. Does that mean you should? Only if you don't have to. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You and I are not doctors. We don't know what to do except listen to the Father and say, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you. We believe that in this situation, her daddy's got peace. He feels like he needs to do it. Her mother has peace. As far as we're concerned, that's a settled deal. All we do then is trust that God takes us through the other side. But what about this scripture that says, for the help of man is useless? You know how oftentimes, and I'm not talking about you guys, but in a church, when somebody starts going through turmoil, sometimes people who are religious, for some reason, think that the preacher can fix it. He can't do that. I can pray with you, but you know what? You have the same power to pray that I have. There's no difference. We have the same Father, the same God, the same access. Amen? We agree together, we pray together, we lean upon each other, we need each other. But I can't fix my problems, so why can't I fix yours? Or anybody else's? All of us have certain situations that we need help dealing with because we don't do it well by ourselves, right? I called Hugh this week. He's the best mechanic that I know. He's my go-to guy. In fact, I had a guy call me from Salt Lake City on Friday. Did a guy call you Friday, say he knew me and needed some help with his car about timing belt or something? He called me from Salt Lake City. He works in my cube, remembered to hear me talk about it. His name was Ben Harrison, and he had another friend. I don't know who the friend was. Didn't even tell me his name. But he called me. I asked him first off, I said, what kind of car is it? He says, a Nissan. I said, he can fix that one. Because I had called him earlier in the week about a guy that had a Volkswagen Jetta. He said, I don't like to work on Volkswagen and German cars because I don't have some of the tooling because it's expensive. So if I were to have a German car as good as he is and take it to him, and he says, I don't have the tooling, well, as good as he is, guess what? He ain't going to fix my car. But he can fix the Japanese one because that's what he chooses to work on. He could work on the German if he wanted to. But the point I'm making is this guy had to go to another mechanic because Hugh wasn't going to do it. It was a guy that Hugh used to work for down the street from him. Is it making any sense to you? 
Everybody can't fix your problems. Neither can you. David said, by your right hand you'll deliver me. By your right hand you will deliver me. It's good to see Charles and Norman here today. This is his first time since he had knee replacement back in October. He was telling me this morning his knee's doing great, but still having a problem with the foot that he had back surgery on well over, what, a year and a half ago? Two years ago. For some reason or another, those doctors haven't been able to fix it. <laughs> don't even know for sure. Don't even know for sure, and Charlie doesn't know either, but he don't even know for sure if maybe they caught some of it when they were cutting on his back. Don't know. Like John Wayne said, your fault, my fault, nobody's fault, doesn't matter. Point is, he's got the issue. So don't blame the doctors, anybody. No matter how it happened, it's still an issue for him, right? For the help of man is useless. But then he says, through God we will do valiantly, for he, it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Not he who will help me, he who will do it. He will tread down my enemies. I really believe there's a lot of stuff right now coming down the pike in our world and our society that would love to get you and I to walk in fear. Well, we got to make a choice. Will we choose God? Will we awaken the dawn like David did? Will we begin our day in praise knowing that he's the one going to deliver? Or we moan and complain and gripe and do all the stuff that the world wants us to do and then get in worry all about it because we can't fix it. I'll give you just this last little tidbit here. How many times have you had something happen to you in your life? You didn't do anything to cause it. There was no just reason for it happening. And the end result was is you felt like this is just not fair. You ever had something you felt like this is just not fair? Forty, over 41 years of marriage, we were not, did not always handle our finances best the first 30 years because the first 30 years of our marriage, she was a stay-at-home mom and, and I worked, but we didn't always make the right decisions. We went bankrupt one time because of some of our decisions because we had too much debt. But we lived from paycheck to paycheck and never had savings. And I remember telling you the story when I was working at Sears at 38, looking at those guys in the 50s, wondering why they had money. And then I figured it out because the kids got grown and they left. <laughs> and as I got bigger and all, or as I got older and the children were grown, all of a sudden, well, my pay is increasing, so we got more money. And so for the last 10 years, we have made so much stride past the last 30. We haven't been in the last 10 years without a savings account, ever. And actually, when my checking account would get below a certain amount, I always tried to make sure it didn't get below that amount, and used to, it was always zero to zero to zero to zero to zero, if you know what I'm talking about, when you wrote checks on Wednesday to get to the bank on Friday to deposit your check to cover what you wrote on Wednesday, which you can't do anymore. But we did it all the time, because every week the money ran out. So now it's not about the money not running out. It's about if you've got savings, and then you don't want so much before your checking account. And I'm thinking, all right, Lord, I've done everything to try to get myself to the place where we can prepare. No credit card debt. 
All the things that we're trying to do. Did we buy a new vehicle last year? Yeah. Did we buy one this year? Yeah. All right, well, hindsight. Did we make a right decision? Don't know. Can't go there. Don't worry about it right now. It's like, okay, 350,000 miles between the two vehicles. We replaced them. So if the government comes along and decides to dock our pay this year and all the stuff that could happen to any one of us at any time, and I'm thinking, all right, we have made savings accounts. Now, here's the thing with us. If, even if God doesn't deliver us, me and Pamela, if he chose us, if for some reason I want you to walk through this, but I'm not going to deliver you, we will survive because we're in a situation where we're not going to lose our house and we're not going to starve. Some people, especially younger people on that base, are not in that predicament, and many of them would lose their houses. Some families in my office have two breadwinners on the base. The people that work with me and what we're making, do you know what the monthly income deficit is for those for that couple that make the same make what I do, what I make? We figured it out. For six months, they would have twenty four hundred dollars a month less coming out of their check. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what it comes to. For some people, $2,400 a month, that's going to just send them over the edge. They, I mean, can't pay their car payment, can't pay their house payment, or whatever. There's people on that base that got $2,000 house payments. I mean, people do. We thought we had a high house payment. The more we you know, look, we, don't, we finally paid ours off, but we did it partially by using some of our, our TSP money that we're paying back because the loan was 1.5% versus 6%. made sense to me because I wasn't making that in my account. Well, ours was a $900 a month payment for so long. Well, that's a cheap payment nowadays. I remember back in the 70s, we were looking at buying our first house. And the house payments were going to be $300 a month. And I remember Pam and I talking about it. I said, there is no way in the world we'll pay $300 a month. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Dang taxes and insurance cost me about that much now almost. But the point I'm making is, all right, God, I've done everything to get myself because I am three years away from retirement. <laughs> Doc, me 9000 that just affected my high three-year salary that they based my retirement on, so it'll help for the rest of the time. And I can sit here and say, okay, God, I've done everything right now for the last few years. We've got savings. We don't have any credit card debt. It ain't fair. I believe God's answer to me could be is, what does fair have to do with it? Because everybody else is in the same boat. So what do I have to rely on? God says, I've never seen, I will not see my children begging bread. Hello? Hello? Chuck was on disability for a year. Forced into retirement. Probably enjoying the fact that he's not having to go to work every day doing what he did. But he don't make as much as he made. Charles has been on disability for at least four months. It's the second or third time in the last several years he's been on disability. Still hadn't gone back to work. You just retired. Your salary is not going to be as high as it was, even in retirement, is it? Probably not. Probably not. And when you get Social Security, probably will. But the point I'm making is for all of us, things happen and occur in our lives that we have no control over. If we have no control over, then what do we do? We fret complain, 
gripe, or we trust. We believe and we pray. You remember when I've shared with you, and Pamela actually shared this bit of truth with me a long time ago, deer can inhabit a certain area. And when the food runs out, the deer aren't smart enough just to move. And sometimes what God does is you send mosquitoes. You know what mosquitoes will do to deer? It will drive them. And they will go where the mosquitoes aren't, when God will use those mosquitoes to drive them to another place. Sometimes God uses the mosquitoes in life to drive us where he wants us to be. But sometimes we won't go on our own. Hello? Well, when the mosquitoes are after you, that is not fun. But they have a purpose. All the stuff that comes into our life, there is a purpose. Some of it refines us. Some of it, depending on how you approach it, can make you bitter, can make you angry, can make you frustrated. But it depends on the perspective and how you deal with it and how you approach it. And see, here's the thing. I can't change what they do. I can change how I perceive it and how I handle it. So can you. How do you start? By awakening the dawn with the praises of the living God. And then moving on from there. Amen? Because he says at the end, the help of man is useless. But you, O oh God, who do valiantly, you will tread down our enemies. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, truth does us no good unless we walk in it. Amen. We can hear it. We can think about it can be taught, but unless we decide to apply it and walk in it, Father God, it's just like a fairy tale to us. But when we choose to put in place what you have said, you go before us, behind us, above us, and beside us, and you deliver us. You did it over and over and over in the Word. Israel, Father, walked away from you time and again, and she walked in adultery time and again, but you would bring her back. When their back was against the Red Sea, you delivered them. When those three guys were in the furnace, you delivered them. When Daniel was in the lion's den, you delivered them. And you did it over and over and over again. Why, Father, does it take us sometimes to get it through our thick heads that if we indeed are the apple of your eye, and we are, if we are your beloved, and we are, and you said neither height nor depth, mm -hmm. nor angels, nor principalities, nothing above, nothing below, nothing can separate us from your love. Why don't we get it, and why don't we believe it? For joy does come in the morning. Father, whatever happens in our nation, whatever happens to us individually and collectively as a body. Thank you, Father, that you will take us through to the other side. Amen. You're not going to leave us out in the storms by ourselves to navigate by ourselves, but you'll deliver us because you said it over and over and over and over. Lord, let us trust you. Let us seek your face. Let us repent of our sins. And Father, I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.